Amen. Hallelujah. In Luke chapter 15, in verse number 17, the Bible says, when he came to himself, he said, how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will rise and go to my father. And I'm going to say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and before thee. I'm no longer worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him. Obviously, he was looking for him. He was waiting and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. The son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring thither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. Can we rejoice right now in the spirit of the father? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. I want to speak just for a few moments on this subject, the devil and the dad. Jesus, we pray that you would speak to us today in the next few moments, that you would encourage our hearts, and we would leave here, Lord, ready to be everything that you've called us to be. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said amen. 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 You may be seated. I'm going to jump right into the word for the sake of time. In Luke chapter 15, it's a powerful uh, instruction that Jesus gives to some Pharisees that came and criticized him because he received sinners into relationship and would eat with people that were known sinners. While they were criticizing Jesus, Jesus stopped and said, I've got a story to tell you. And he told them three quick stories uh, in rapid succession. And each of those three stories had to do with something that was lost and then found. You can read it for yourself in Luke chapter 15. The three things that were once lost and were found, one was a lost coin, one was a lost sheep, and then the final one was the son that walked away from his father and was lost, but finally was found. Now, Jesus spent time on each of these three stories, but he spent the most time telling the story of the lost son. Jesus was interested in things that were lost being found. He said, how many of you, if you had a hundred and sheep and only 99 came in for the night, would be satisfied with that? He said, nope, I know you guys. You would go out looking for that one lost sheep. And when you found him, you would rejoice. And you know, if there was a lady that had 10 coins and lost one of them, she would sweep the house looking for this valuable thing until she found it. And then when she found it, she would call her neighbors and said, I found the coin that I lost. I found what was missing. Can you party and celebrate with me? Each of these things were lost things, and Jesus is interested. God is interested in that which was lost. Now, I think it's interesting as you look into this passage of Scripture, you notice that there's three types of being lost. Three types of being lost. Three attitudes or mindsets of people that are lost. First of all is the coin. The coin is lost and doesn't even realize that it's lost. You know, there are a lot of people in the world today that are lost and they don't even know that they're lost. They have no conscience of the fact that they are lost until the Spirit of God reaches out to them. The sheep was lost and knew that he was lost, but he didn't know how to get home. 
And there are people that wake up to the fact that I need God and something's missing in my life. And I feel like my life doesn't make any sense, but they don't know how to find their way home. But the good shepherd goes looking for them. Amen. And the prodigal son is the third one. And the thing about him is he's lost. He knows he's lost and he knows how to get home. But the problem with the prodigal son is his mind has been twisted about how the father feels about him. That's what religion will do. Religion will twist your thinking about how the father thinks about you. And even though he knew the way home, he was hesitant to return home because he had a misconception about the father's feelings about him. But I want you to notice one thing that's consistent in all three stories is that when that which was lost was found, the finder rejoiced and said, everybody else rejoice with me. And that's why when somebody prays through, when one sinner comes to repentance, when one individual is baptized in Jesus' name, when anybody is filled with the Holy Ghost, it is incumbent upon us as part of the Father's house to rejoice because that which was lost and was dead is found and alive. Amen. The Father is significant in the story of the prodigal son. He had said, Dad, I want everything that belongs to me. And he left with his portion of his inheritance. The Bible says he went to a far country. This is somebody that was raised in the house. Somebody that knew the love of the father, but was beguiled by the pleasures of sin and went and spent all of his father's money on riotous living. Then a famine came during the time of famine. Sometimes a famine is not a curse. It's a blessing because without the famine, he's not going home. Amen. Praise God. God's mercy followed him all the way to a far country. Anybody understand what I'm saying? And so during the famine, he was so hungry, he didn't have any money. He'd spent his money up, lost all his friends. And uh, he's like, okay, I got to eat. So he went and fed pigs. And for a young Hebrew boy, this was as low as you could get feeding pigs because pigs were considered unclean. The meat from the animal was considered unclean. And there in that extreme hunger, he almost grabbed some of the husks of corn that the pigs were eating to eat it himself. Uh, He was desperate, he was miserable, and he was about to go lower than he ever thought that he would go. And all of a sudden, as we read, the Bible says that he came to himself and said, you know what, even the servants in my father's household eat better than this. Uh, So I'm going to get up. Uh, He came to himself and said, I'm going to get up. I know dad's fed up with me. I know dad won't receive me as a son, but maybe he'll let me work as a servant in the house uh, because somehow his thinking had been twisted about how the father felt about him because of what he had done because of the way he had lived because of the mistakes that he had made because of the time and the finance that he had wasted he felt like dad would not even want him back but he found out something about the father when he got close to home close enough to where dad who was out watching saw him in the distance amen saw him coming and ran out to meet him and fell on him with tears amen embracing him and said my son was lost and he's found he said dad dad, i I just i just want to be a servant he said just be quiet you're my son bring on the robe this is my son amen put a ring on his finger this is a sign that he's my son let's bring him back into the house and let's have a celebration because we're we're not going to condemn him or look down on him for what happened when he was gone because what happened or what he did or his performance doesn't change the way I feel about my boy. Hallelujah. 
He's still my son, and I receive him home. You know, in this story, it's referred to as the prodigal son. It's really the prodigal father because prodigal means extravagant. Extravagant. Who is extravagant? The father was extravagant in his mercy and his love. But I want to talk for a minute about the significance and the importance of a father. A father, a dad. Men, let me give you a little warning here or a little insight. Men are wild by nature. Men tend to want to do bad things and be irresponsible. That's just the way humans are wired. It's the wild nature of a man. But when a man becomes the leader of a family and takes on the responsibility of a wife, and if God should allow children as well, something shifts in his disposition. And this man that could not be trusted, this serial philanderer, this one who was a Mac daddy, all of a sudden now becomes the backbone of civilization. The backbone of civilization. Dependable. Uh, a, a protector. A, uh, one who provides. Now we know, and on Mother's Day, we celebrate the significance of a mother. It's undeniable. Everybody can say, man, I wouldn't be where I am without my mom. But sometimes the significance of the father is less obvious, but no less significance. I want to share just some brief statistics with you. And this is not to make anyone feel bad, but because there's an agenda of Satan in our world, I feel like I need to drive a stake down right now. Amen. Because I know that uh, there are people here who were raised without a father. There are people here who tried to raise kids without a dad. And there are those fathers who have had lapses in your um, uh, being there as a dad. But the biggest problem facing America is not unemployment or crime or drugs or the welfare state. The greatest problem in America, the most overriding fact to the problem in our nation is the increasing absence of biological fathers from the American home. Amen. In a book written by David Blackenhorn, a sociologist, a book he, he wrote called Fatherless America, Confronting Our Most Urgent Social Problem. He said, fatherless is the most harmful demographic trend of this generation. He said, it's the leading cause of declining well-being of children in our society. It is also the engine driving our most urgent social problems. Fatherless is the in, fatherlessness is the engine driving crime, adolescent pregnancy, child sexual abuse, domestic violence against women, all of these crimes are driven by fatherlessness. And despite its scale and social consequences, fatherlessness is a problem that's ignored or denied. And as a result, through all these studies that have been conducted uh, by sociologists, they have repeatedly uncovered a staggering array of issues that show up particularly in children who have a father absent from the household. It's been shown uh, that the effects of fathers that are emotionally unavailable, in other words, they're there, but they're not really there, okay, has almost identical effects in children where the father was physically absent. In uh, the general population, individuals raised with an absent father demonstrate, check this out, five times the average rate of suicide when there's no dad in the home. Uh, Dramatically increased rates of depression and anxiety when they're raised without a dad. 32 times the average rate of incarceration. Can you believe that? 
where there's no father versus where there is a father. Decreased education levels and increased dropout rates. Consistently lower average income levels, lower job security, and increased rates of divorce and relationship issues. Substantially increased rates of substance abuse and increases in social and mental behavioral issues as a result of the missing father in the home. Now, here's, here's a point that I, I want to make right now. I want to make this because the enemy's objective is to separate the father and his influence from his kids. This is what's happened in our culture. This is what's happening in our culture today. It's a strategy of Satan to destroy the family because when the family is destroyed, we see the psychological effects that it brings about in children. See, you you just thought we were being hip and contemporary when it became more acceptable for people to have sex outside of marriage. No, it's an objective of Satan to destroy God's plan of one man and one woman being married. This is God's plan. I know situations have happened in the past, and the deal is we can't go back and fix the past. You can't unscramble eggs. Eggs that are scrambled are scrambled. Just eat them. Amen? But the reality is we're talking about going forward in your life because there are people who, when I speak this, they say, These, this is the source of some of the issues in my life. But the problem is Satan would like to create a cycle so that you repeat the same things that happened. But truth will break the cycle right now. And I've come to drive in a stake right now and to let you know that it is the will of God for us to keep sex within marriage, one man and one woman, and that it's not okay to walk out on your family. Amen. And it's come on somebody. And and it's not okay to let your selfish desires supersede the happiness and satisfaction and fulfillment of your kids. Are you listening to me right now? So I'm giving a challenge right now and issuing a challenge to the men that are here today. I'm talking straight with you today, okay? It's God's will for you not to be selfish, uh, but to look out for the needs of your family and watch God bless you for it, amen? When you look in the Bible, what was Satan's first act? Satan's first act was an effort to separate Adam from his dad. Luke 3.38 says... In the genealogy of Jesus Christ, it says, which was the son of Enos, which was the son of Seth, which was the son of Adam, which was the son of God. Who was Adam's dad? God. Amen. And Satan's first act was to drive a wedge. Brains and the wisdom and dad's just a foil for stupidity. You know what I'm saying? And you can say, well, is that a reflection of our culture or is that driving culture? I don't know which one it is, but the reality is the respect and the significance of the role and the position of the father is being destroyed in our culture. And it's an objective of Satan because he knows if I can destroy this, I can perpetrate all of these problems in culture and in society. And that's why the church has got to continue to 
to be the church and preach righteousness and truth to people that are coming out of the world and are programmed according to the way and the values and the philosophies and the theories of this world to say, guess what? If you want to change the next generation, I know your dad may have been a philander and grandpa may have been a philander, but it's your turn, amen, to stand up and be a righteous man of God and say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We're breaking the cycle. I realize that the laws of God apply to me, even if my daddy ignored him. Come on, somebody. And I'm going to change the destiny and the direction of my family tree. Come on. I've seen it happen over and over and over and over again. I'm challenging you and I'm encouraging you. Praise God. Amen. And so Satan's objective from the very beginning was in, in, in Adam's case, was to cause Adam to sin against God. Sin separates. And then the worst thing that happened is Adam went and hid from his dad. He went and hid from his heavenly father because of what he did. The same attitude, the same mindset of the prodigal son who said, dad's not going to be happy with me because of the things that I've done. I've got to go and hide. And who was it that made him feel that way? God said to Adam, who told you that you were naked? Somebody's been talking to you. Somebody's been filling your head with garbage about how I feel about you. And some of you need to get this in your spirit. Satan's objective is to fill your mind with garbage about how the heavenly father feels about you because of your failures because of your performance or lack of performance uh, to cause you to go and hide yourself uh, and to put distance between you and the father. Come on now. This is Satan's objective. Satan's objective is to separate you from your heavenly father. So we're weaving two things together today because I want men of life church, young dads of life church, listen to me right now. The devil would love nothing more than to separate you from your family. I'll say it again. Satan would love nothing more than to mitigate your influence on your kids. Whether it's to cause you to walk out on your wife, walk away from your kids, or get so wrapped up in your career and your hobbies that you don't have any time for your kids, or get you so worldly that you can't have a godly influence on your kids. The devil from the very beginning has an attack on dads because he knows if I can separate dad from the kids, then I can have free reign in the life of the family. Amen? What does the Bible say? Men, remember we talked about this. Before the devil will attack a house, he's going to bind up the strong man first. Then he can attack the house. That's why the enemy wants to take our young men, our men, and get them bound up with bad habits, with sinful tendencies, with condemnation, so that then he can wreak havoc on the house. Devil can't mess with your house when you are who you're supposed to be. Devil can't mess with your kids when dad is who he's supposed to be devil can't mess with your wife when the strong man is not bound up hallelujah so the enemy's goal is to bind you up and mitigate your influence so that he can walk around your house and do whatever he wants amen to bind up the strong man to wrap him up with cords of addiction let me tell you what selfish our sin is Sin is the same as selfishness. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to do what feels good. I have a right to do this. Hey, can we talk real, guys? Let's have some real talk. Sometimes we get upset with our wives, don't we? Nobody look right now. Just nod. Sometimes we get mad at our wives, right? Sometimes our our wives 
I'm going to get in trouble, aren't I? Sometimes our wives can get stirred up and become unreasonable and they're almost like yapping chihuahuas going at us, right? And if that goes on too long, we build up resentment. And we start to feel like she doesn't even have her head on straight. She's all fired up about something that doesn't matter. And we're going to build up resentment in our spirit. Ooh, did I get out on an island by myself or do I have an amen in the house here? And before long... We will begin to justify. Come on, men. You can begin to justify yourself when you begin to flirt with sin. You know what it is? It's selfishness. It's selfishness. And I've seen men justify extramarital affairs, walk away from their family, fall in love with alcohol, do whatever it takes uh, to escape from the frustration of being selfish uh, and they don't think about the impact that it's going to have on their family and they don't think about the impact that it's going to have on their kids Uh, and when satan is able to convince man hey man uh, i'm going to stand hold to my convictions uh, and i'm going to stay true to the commitments that i made before god when i said i do come on now come on man come on man i'm challenging you right now You need to understand that the enemy's target is you. He wants to separate you from your kids. He wants to separate you from your wife. He wants to separate you from your family so he can wreak havoc in your family. But is there someone here today that says, I'm going to break the cycle? Hallelujah. I'm not going to listen to the lies of the enemy. I'm not going to be selfish. I'm not going to bail out on my family. When the enemy attacks uh, and tries to attack the strong man, I'm going to find a place to pray. I'm going to get together with my brothers. I'm going to ask for their encouragement. I'm going to make my way out to men's prayer and meet with Jesus there. I'm going to make my way out to the house of the Lord even when I don't feel like going to the house of the Lord. Come on. It's so obvious and so uh, so clear when Satan starts to work in the life of a man and you want to just grab him by the face and say, can't you see what's going on? The devil's trying to take you out so he can wreak havoc on your family from your kids to your grandkids. Can you stand up? and realize there's a lot hanging on my convictions. Come on, somebody praise him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Now, here's the deal. God is our heavenly father. And there are many misconceptions about God in religion. Religion is one of the leading sources of contorting or causing us to have a mistaken thought about how our heavenly father feels about us. In many religions, their vision of God or their concept of God is unenlightened. God is portrayed as, in many of these ancient religions, pagan religions as being weird, cruel, immoral, aloof, impersonable. But they never identify him as a heavenly father. Even in uh, Islam today, They don't think of God as a father. And even Judaism, even in Israel, when you look in the Old Testament, this was the nation that possessed the clearest revelation given to man of who God was, but they could not conceive of his warmth and compassion. That's why they failed to recognize him when he stood among their midst and was healing people, opening blinded eyes and showing compassion. Jesus Christ was revealing 
the creator to be a God of love, concerned about the sick and the suffering, the blind and the deaf. Jesus Christ portrayed him as a holy God that was approachable, that even the most sinful men were drawn to our God when he showed up. Children wanted to be around him and sat on his knees. And Jesus was the first person of importance to appreciate childhood. He's the one that started children's ministry. Amen. Everybody said, keep them out of here. They're, they're, they're kids. Jesus said, such is the kingdom of heaven. Bring them to me. He was showing us the heart of the Father. Manifesting to a world who religion had given a twisted perspective of how God felt about them. How God really felt about them. Jesus came to show us the Father's love. And as we said before, Satan's real objective is to make you and I fatherless, whether in a real sense or in a spiritual sense, to disconnect us from our Father. And in a spiritual sense, there's nothing that the devil can do to cause God to abandon us. He might be able to work in men's lives to cause them to abandon their family, but Satan can do nothing to cause God to abandon us. So instead, he has to use sin and condemnation to create distance between us and our father because of how we feel that he thinks about us. This is the story of the prodigal son. And we notice right away in the word of God that sin's, sin creates distance. What is sin? Rebellion against God's authority and desire to do, do our own thing. What does it do? It creates distance between us and God and makes us go into hiding. When we sin, when we disobey God, when we rebel against God, when we mess up, when we make mistakes, the first instinct is to go into hiding. Remember, when people mess up, the first thing they do is they don't want to go to church, right? And you're like, that's when you need to go to church, right? And maybe if they go to church, they're like, well, I don't need to worship God because I messed up. Well, that's when you really need to worship God because you need to get in connection with him so that he can heal you, amen, so that he can bring about transformation. And so the enemy does everything he can to convince us in our mind. And then secondly, the misconceptions about God drive a wedge between us and God. But I've come today to challenge these misconceptions and give you an understanding of how God feels about you that will disarm the enemy's efforts to drive a wedge between you and God. Is that okay? Can we challenge it right now? The Bible says in Luke chapter 11, verse 11, Jesus said, if a son asks bread of you, that's a father, will you give him a stone? If your kid's hungry and says, dad, I'm, I'm so hungry. I need something to eat. Are you going to give him a rock, your starving son, and then laugh at him? Or, or if he asks for a fish, will you give him a serpent? Here, <laughs> take this. Or if he asks for an egg, will you give him a scorpion? And the answer is absolutely not. He says, if ye then, as evil men, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to, to them that ask him? Jesus was saying, he was revealing this idea of God not being some kind of harsh, austere judge looking down from heaven with one big eye for us to make a mistake so he can whack us real good. But the vision is, is that God is your heavenly father. If you ask for bread, he's going to bless you with bread. If you ask for egg, he's going to give them to you. Amen. If you ask for something of him, if you ask him for the Holy Spirit, he's going to give you the Holy Spirit because your heavenly father likes doing good things for you. Can you shout amen? Amen. amen. In Romans chapter five or seven, 
It says, scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man some would dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet or still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus' love was displayed when you were a mess. Jesus' love was displayed when you were the furthest from being right with him. So that lets me know that if he showed the ultimate love while I was a sinner, there's nothing I can do to make him love me anymore. And there's nothing I can do to make him love me any less. You got to get this in your spirit right now. When we fail, when we mess up, it does not make God love us any less. Those of you that have had children that have made mistakes. Anybody had to give your children a spanking before? Correct your kids. Are you spanking them because you hate them? Because of what they did? Sometimes the kids think that. They're like, dad is so mad at me. He hates me now because of what I did. He's beating me. He's spanking me. He's correcting me. He's grounding me. Or whatever the case may be. I'm in timeout. My parents didn't do timeout. They did the knockout form, all right? I'm in, I'm in trouble because of what I did. And sometimes with God as well, we get the impression that because of our mistakes and failures that he doesn't love us anymore. But the Bible says whom God loves, he chastens. Correction is a display of God's love. And you can't do anything to make God not love you anymore. Amen. And you can't do anything to make him love you anymore than he loves you right now because you're his kid. Come on, somebody. I want you to get a hold of this right now because if the devil can confuse you or give you a, 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 this kind of idea that God is not pleased with you, that God doesn't love you, that you're on the outs with God because of your performance or because of your lack of performance, then the devil can use that to keep you from your father. Amen. This is the only thing the devil can use to keep you from your father is a misconception about how God feels about you. But right now, it doesn't matter how far you've walked from God. It doesn't matter how many mistakes that you've made. It doesn't matter how inconsistent that you've been. If you're a child of God, you're still a child of God. He's still your heavenly father. And he still loves you today as much as he ever loved you. Can you receive that? And can you accept that today? Somebody give him praise. And I'm, I'm bringing this to a close that I told you we'd get out of here. And from the story of the prodigal son, there's three things that I learned. Three things that I learned about the father's love. And the first one is what I just mentioned. Our heavenly father does not base his love for us on our performance. The father didn't just love the son because he was in the house. The father didn't just love the son because he hadn't ruined his name and reputation. But the father loved his son because he was his son. Amen. And God doesn't love you more or less based on your performance. Oh, there's my timer going off. Guys. You're in luck. Praise the Lord. Now I know who was playing music the other day. There we go. We're done. There we go. He does. Let's all stand. Amen. Just playing. Okay, go ahead. No, just playing. Go ahead. No. 
God doesn't love us any more or any less based on our performance. He's our father. The father did not love the son less because he went out and ruined his reputation. It didn't matter how many mistakes he made. It didn't matter how many strange women he was with. It didn't matter how many laws that he broke. He said, you're still my son. I just want you to come home and get things right. I just want you to come back and I love you as much as I've ever loved you. I wish we could get that because the devil's trying to convince you that God's love ebbs and flows based on your performance. God's love does not ebb or flow based on your performance. Now, the spirit of God working in your life may ebb and flow based on your performance, but God's love does not ebb or flow based on your performance. God loves you the same all the time because you are a child of God. And the Father's love does not ever flow based on your performance. Come on. And here's another thing I found out about the father is sometimes the father lets us go our way even though he knows it's going to bring pain into our life. You know why? Because sometimes he knows we can only learn lessons the hard way. We're stubborn like that as people. We can only learn lessons by doing our thing. And I imagine before the father gave the, his portion of the inheritance to the son, he did everything he can to discourage him from going that direction. He said, you're going to end up blowing it, probably. I'm just assuming here. He, he, if he was a good father, he probably would say, I, I don't advise this. But the son pushed the issue. And he said, okay, I'll let you do what you want to do. And sometimes the father, even though he loves us, he lets us do what we want to do to our own hurt. Sometimes, well, why didn't God stop me? Because you're so stubborn. Why, why didn't God keep me from going that direction, making that foolish choice, making that stupid emotional choice? Why did God not let me, why did God let me do that? Because he's going to let you do what you want to do because sometimes you can only learn the lessons when you're sitting in the pig pen. And then you're like, whoops, I'm going to try that again. I'm not going to do that again. I've learned my lesson. And there in the pig pen comes the challenge. And the challenge is, are you going to believe what the enemy, the devil, has told you about your dad and how he feels about you? Are you going to respond with what God wants to do in your life? And the last point is our Heavenly Father celebrates and rejoices when we become what he wants us to be. Amen. Even though, I remember the song that, that was when I was a kid. It said, Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he's strong. And I remember this verse, and this verse used to bug me. Because I had a misconception about God. And the verse said, Jesus loves me when I'm good. When I do the things I should. Jesus loves me when I'm bad. Though it makes him very sad, Jesus loves me when I'm bad. He loves you. But he celebrates. Ha! He doesn't look for a chance. Now, I told you. You want to come home, but I told you. You want to come back now and things be like they were before, but I told you. Now, listen to me. Let this be a learning lesson for you. It's not how the father responds. When you learn your lesson and come home, the father has a celebration.
The father rejoices. The father celebrates when we take steps toward pursuing him and pursuing our relationship with him. That's some things I've learned about the father from the New Testament. I learned it from my dad too. That my dad loves me no matter what I do. But my dad celebrates when I make good choices. Amen. Sometimes I make bad choices and he's like, you're a grown boy. Do what you want. And then you come back and I wish I'd listened to you, dad. And he's not going to come and beat me up or condemn me but he's like just go on from today amen let's take positive steps now let's move in the direction uh, that we're supposed to go and God blesses those that take positive steps let's stand together right now come on can we clap our hands and give thanks to the Lord for his goodness hallelujah God has been so good to us and the thing, the main point that I wanted to get across to you today is Satan's objective is to separate you from the Father. He can't get the Father to stop loving you or abandon you, but all he can do is confuse you about how the Father feels about you based on your performance. And as long as you keep believing, as long as you keep believing that the Father's upset with you, that he doesn't want you, that you've made too many mistakes and too many errors, and that your value as a son or a daughter of God has been compromised, then Satan has successfully separated you from your heavenly Father and all the ills that come into your life as a result of spiritual fatherlessness are going to continue. But the moment you come to yourself... And say, you know what? I realize now that my father loves me. That dad loves me. Oh, yeah, I've made a lot of mistakes. I've ruined the family name. I've made some errors, and there may be some people that'll judge me. The elder brother may look down on me when I come back. But who cares what the elder brother thinks? Dad loves me. He loves me as much as he's ever loved me. His love has not been mitigated or influenced by my performance or failures. He still loves me. And he wants me to come back so that he can begin to bless and favor me. I feel like God gave me clarity of, of understanding this week. Some people fail to pursue God the right way because they're pursuing God's love. They're pursuing salvation. They're pursuing God being pleased with them. It's not what you pursue. God loves you already. He already loves you. You just got to accept and embrace the fact that he loves you and begin to pursue him because you know that it's going to bring blessing and favor and anointing into your life. Because when you're doing it the other way, when you're pursuing God's love, you have an open invitation of Satan into your life because you're operating under a misconception. And the misconception is not truth. And the misconception gives a stronghold of Satan to keep beating up on you so that you can't pursue the gifting. You can't pursue the ministry that God wants to do in your life. You can't pursue the anointing that God wants to have in your life because you're pursuing something through a misguided concept that you've got to pursue after the love of God. Drop that, honey. You already got that. <laughs> I'm a child of God. He's blessed us, whereby we, by, we cry, Abba, Father. 
Jesus is the firstborn among many brethren. We are the sons and daughters of God. Can can you receive that right now? If you can receive that, just lift up your hands to him right now. Lift up your hands, and I want you just to love him back. Amen? Don't beg him for anything right now. I just want you to love Jesus uh, because he first loved you. I want you just to love him because you know that he loves you. Do you know that? Do you understand that? Uh, Can you give it back to him right now? Jesus, I love you so much. Uh, Thank you, Jesus, for your grace and mercy. Thank you, Lord God, uh, for loving me. I thank you, Jesus, uh, and I love you. Thank you, Lord God, for being consistent. Thank you for being faithful. Thank you for always being there. Thank you for not leaving me. Thank you for not abandoning me, Lord God, but you've been there through every trial, through every difficulty through every storm you've been there and I love you can you love him right now can you love him right now Lord Jesus uh, I just love you I 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 love you hallelujah hallelujah one of the things that last week in our salt session has really prompted my thinking something that I a greater depth of understanding is that when we go before the throne of Christ, we're not going to be judged as to whether we're saved or not. That's the white throne judgment, and that's for the sinners. But when, when the rapture happens, there's a throne of, of Christ where each man is judged according to his works. That's the time when the crowns and recognition is given. So the point is, is stop pursuing salvation. If you've been born again, you've got salvation. Amen. Accept and receive God's love and mercy. And now turn your attention to pursuing God's purpose for your life. Come on, somebody. Turn your attention to pursuing the purpose of Jesus Christ and why he saved you. Because as long as the devil has you going around this mountain that's already been conquered through the cross, then you'll never fulfill your purpose in life and you'll stand before Jesus and say, I buried what, I, what you gave me because I thought you were a hard man. Jesus loves you. <laughs> There's no steps you're going to take, no missteps you're going to take that's going to make him not love you anymore. But if you don't do anything but just pursue salvation in his love, then you're going to come to the end of the journey and not have anything to lay at his feet. But it's those that embrace the love of Jesus and say, I'm saved. Hallelujah, I'm saved. And now I'm going to pursue what God's called me to do and called me to be. Even though I'm flawed, even though I make mistakes, even though I have shortcomings, I still have the love of God. And when you start pursuing purpose, then you realize that transformation and fruit begins to manifest in in your life because you accept God's love and you receive his forgiveness. Amen. I want us to pray together right now. I want you to reach over and take the hand of somebody. We're going to take this, turn this whole place into an altar service just for a few moments now. And then we're going to go about our way. Lord Jesus, I pray in the name of the Lord.